Hey, what's up, Jason? Just a heads up, I'm actually having a call with you from a restaurant because the hotel that I'm at in Chiang Mai has got absolutely shite internet. But this restaurant has got probably the fastest internet I've ever had in my life. It's like 280 to 300 megabits a second. It makes you wonder what they're doing in that restaurant, that they need to have such a high-speed high internet. Well, it's a plant-based restaurant, right? So they, they're, they're hitting that Instagram part. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's probably people who are like live streaming TikToks or something straight from straight from the restaurant. Man, you just showed your age over there. <laughs> Did I get that wrong? <laughs> can you not? Can you not <laughs> live stream? Anyway, yeah. No, I know what you, I know what you mean. It's a it's a it's a bit of a hassle when you're traveling trying to find like a good quality internet. I I have the best intentions whenever I travel, but uh, I always end up. Uh, coming a little bit off uh, on the poor end of the scale when it comes to the speed of the internet. Even um, so this, so this week I was actually, I took, took the Eurostar. I took the train from uh, London to Paris and you would think, yeah, first world, it's going to be like so well oiled and it's going to be, wow. It's like, so not that it's basically like a lot of getting there early waiting for like an hour or so waiting for people to fill up. There's loads of people. Everyone's trying to climb in. Then the internet connection, I thought, yeah, surely, you know, the UK, they've got pretty decent, like 5G internet on the train. It's like impossible to do anything. The French side was a little bit better. I'll, I'll say that. But uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the greatest experience. And then coming back, like one of the doors, so they have these like waiting rooms where you have to like wait and then they'll open the doors and then you can go down onto the platform into the train. But the doors just like they they've been locked shut and no one knew how to open them. So <laughs> so we had to like go through this other way. Anyway, like I, I couldn't get any work done, but I, I think it's more of like a it's kind of something that you learn, like if you're gonna travel and try and do some work, uh it's best to try and think of the offline things you can do. Uh I think a lot of my my work revolves around like being online, so I can't I'm not really like detached from that. Well, it's uh, one of the nice things about working for myself is when I was working for a company and I was traveling, I had to be very diligent about making sure I knew where all the good internet was because I had meetings and I had work that needed to be done. Whereas now it's like, you know, when inspiration strikes, I'll go and I'll do some shit, but also no one's like waiting on me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Especially when you need to have like synchronous connection. Uh, then it can can be a bit challenging. It's almost feels. It seems like there's like an opportunity for an app. I'm, I've always like thought about this. You know, an app that just tells you like where the good internet is, uh, and then you just like subscribe like five dollars a month, and you've got like first the rating of the coffees, and then the rating of the internet, and then you could just like kind of plan your trip through that app. I'd actually, I'd actually uh, say instead of an app, I want a device. Because an app assumes that I have like an internet connection and stuff, which I regularly don't. That's why I'm looking for yeah. Wi-Fi. So I want a I want a device that like goes on my keychain and it sounds like a Geiger counter, and I just like walk yeah. around the city. <laughs> ah, there's some good internet. Like a light that flashes, and as you get closer, the source it starts flashing more rapidly. Uh, <laughs> um, but so. we're hitting the almost four minute mark over here, so I think uh, let's let's roll this bad boy in. You want to give it a spin? All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to Herman and Jason Spin the Yarn. We are joined by myself, Jason Forte, and Herman Martinez, who is in Thailand at the, at the moment. Um, thank you for listening. Today, we're gonna talk about, should you buy a house? And this is in the context of something 
that uh, I was talking to someone after last uh, time's episode. We, we were talking about, you know, vertical farming. And then someone said, well, it's, it's all great to have a vertical farm in a city. But the thing is, in the city, the price of property is so expensive that sometimes it's more prohibitive. And that's why, you know, most agriculture ha happens out there. So it kind of got me thinking and I thought this time we're going to get a little bit into the nuance of it, but maybe looking more at the, the idea of like home ownership, uh, maybe in the personal sense and also buying to rent, which is a very uh, sort of common alternative. But uh, what's your what's your thoughts, Herman? I know that recently you, you were considering buying a house. So straight off the bat, I think that it's easy to get bogged down on the economic arguments of it. And the economic argument is still fairly nuanced, right? And it really comes down to your actual location. So for context, I was looking for properties to either buy or rent in Cape Town. Um, as I am moving out of the house that I share with friends and looking for, you know, a bit more of a, you know, a personal space to set up. And when it comes to the personal things that I want in a house, I realize that those are easier achieved if I were to buy them as I could set it up as I see fit. Uh, and I could improve on the place and be improving on the asset that I own. However, the economic argument is a very, very strong one, especially inside of cities like Cape Town, where you will arguably have a better place in terms of floor space and area and amenities if you rent for the same amount that you would in repaying your home loan each month. With the, uh, with the, with the, uh, well, this is including the idea that you will have a piece of, uh, you will have an asset 20 years in the future that has appreciated in value. So you have to think about it in terms of if I am purchasing this asset, what would be different if I just put this money into, say, a stock market investment? and uh, had that difference appreciated the years. And it turns out in a city like Cape Town, it is actually in your financial best interest to rent and then take the difference that you would have spent in buying a property, popping that into an investment account and just letting the stock market do its thing over a 20-year period. You'll come out at the end of the 20 years with not only a better place that you've lived in for the past 20 years, but also more money at the end of it. But that doesn't take into account your personal attachment. Yeah, so so for me, I always think about it. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things, it's always a trade-off, right? And I think the main thing, uh, I mean, getting into the into the fundamentals of it is is basically like everyone needs a place to live. And I always think of it that it's like an old school economics, like hierarchy of needs, although to, to a certain degree, that doesn't always play into it. But the main thing is, it's like everyone needs a place to stay. So it makes sense that if you need a place to stay, you might as well own the land you're on or the, the home you're in. And that in that sense, you're not kind of burdened into some sort of financial responsibilities to someone else. And you've got the dependence, you know, like if all goes to shit, at least you've got like a roof over your head. So there is definitely an argument for that. And, and it's also there's a lot of uh, societal pressure that goes into the, the thing of buying a house. You speak a lot about it. People of my age and I go into conversations, they all like, oh, looking to buy a house. But for me, like, I think there is a risk and the risk is that it 
in the best sense, it does make sense because you do have a house that appreciates over time. But then there's also a chance that you buy a house that's a little bit overpriced uh, and potentially, you know, it actually re reduces in value. And what's quite interesting recently is that because there's now been almost like a bubble in housing, uh, potentially people have been buying their houses at a much more inflated rate. And now it's getting into the sense where it's maybe going back to its more realistic price. And for me, as like someone just into the market, I, I don't really know how to sort of get over that risk of finding the right place. Although to a certain extent, Cape Town, you can't go run, right? Well, sort of is that one of the places I was looking at in Cape Town was it was uh, refurbished and it was actually selling for less than the purchase price because of you know how COVID affected the property prices as well as the bubble pre pre pandemic. I'm not too sure if it's recovered since then. So the the interesting thing to think about over here is also is when you think about property ownership as an investment, right? Then you have to think of it holistically as an investment because trying to think about it as both a personal ideal as well as an investment means that you kind of have to hold these two conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time. Um, so let's say, for instance, you are looking at home ownership uh, as an investment, then it actually doesn't make a very good investment. It means that because properties are expensive and it will probably be the most expensive asset you have ever purchased or will ever purchase in your life. It means that you're highly undiversified, right? All of your money is tied up in this one place, you know, maybe property prices tank in that area or your home burns down or whatever. Yeah. And then the second one is that in order to buy a home, the very few people have the money in cash to buy a home, right? Which means that you tend to have to take out a home loan over a 20-year period. But the fact of the matter is that even if you do have the cash to buy a property straight up, it is actually in your financial best interest to take out a home loan for a 20-year period because you can theoretically make more money by putting all that money into a standard investment fund over a 20 year period and it will actually make more money month over month and over the entire duration of the purchase of the property of that time. So this leans me towards the whole thing that like unless property prices are particularly low or rental prices are particularly high in your area from a financial standpoint it makes a lot more sense to to rent than yeah. to buy and we're, we're also caveating here so we, we're we're working on a set of assumptions that are quite uh uh sort of flimsy i guess so our assumptions is that we're both kind of empty nesters uh we don't necessarily have families we don't have to look after our relatives so i guess in those circumstances the the algorithm does change a bit but for us the other aspect is that uh, both myself and Herman are, uh, you know, city slickers, you could call it. We enjoy being in the city. Uh, and I think that's one of the kind of trade-offs that you have to make is that when you want to be part of the city, and this is the whole idea of maybe urbanization in general, is that if you want to be part of the city, you want to have access to those opportunities that the, the city presents. And we talk about them all the time on this podcast. Uh, if you want to be part of that, you have to find a way to get a part of it. And it's not always the idea of home ownership. And I think a lot of people might be of the sense that, you know, they want to 
own a home, but they also want to own a home in the city or in somewhere where it's nice to live. And I think that's where a bit of the sort of challenges come in from a mental point of view is that, you know, people want to live in the city. They want to have like this really sort of, uh, sort of like sort of story, story life kind of, you know, action. They want to like live the, the fairy tale dream of living in the city. But unfortunately, because of that demand, that's what causes the prices to be high. The other side of it is that you can quite easily move into a more rural town or a more rural city. For instance, Cape Town, you could move to Port Elizabeth. You could maybe move to, uh, you know, Durban, parts of Johannesburg, and you could potentially get a better rate and, you know, in that sense, maybe afford a house. So it's actually fairly interesting is that uh, boomers especially talk about how millennials don't want to don't want to be a part of home ownership and millennials are like i can't actually afford a home both of them are kind of right the there's just a nuance to that is millennials in a lot of cases would like to live like buy a home and uh instead of rent they can also not afford to buy a home in a city however property ownership outside of a city is actually very achievable for a lot of middle class millennials the difference is that we now have our sites set on cities with this whole, you know, urbanization of uh, the population is technically uh, millennials do have enough money to buy homes. They just want to live in cities. Um, and I know that I certainly do want to live in the city. Uh, I, I do have aspirations of like having a cool, you know, country house out in the Cape Winelands or in the mountains or a cabin in the woods somewhere, but I'd also get incredibly bored and incredibly lonely. The other the other aspect, and I think you mentioned it briefly before, is that uh, one of the great things about buying a house is it does almost force you to have a sort of fiscal responsibility. So a lot of people who have either sort of, uh, you know, not being so cautious in their earlier years uh, and maybe haven't spent enough time looking into investments and those kind of things. Having a mortgage does basically force a person to invest in this asset. Um, and having done that, uh, a lot of data shows that people who actually have a home, uh, they do, they are better off, they are more wealthy. Uh, the other reason for that is um, because having an asset like a home or having just any land is a, a kind of, it's an asset that you can use for collateral, right? So there's this idea of remortgaging your house. So by having this asset, you do actually get the opportunity to leverage that house into better and other things. So a common pattern that you see is you see that someone will buy a house, they start to pay it off. And after a certain point, they can then use the money that they've almost saved up in the house, and then they can use that to put a down payment on the next house. So an interesting thing about that access to credit is that it's actually incredibly powerful, and it's one of the, the main tools that actually lift like people into the middle class or higher. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to bring up any opinions that I have about um, Cyril's. Uh, was part of his campaign is the whole um, land reappropriation without compensation. And I think that whatever my feelings are about that entire thing, it's 
terribly misunderstood by people who talk about it. They will talk about it and be like, oh, but the people don't know how to farm. And it's actually not about the farm. It's about having that land, which is access to credit. Like having land is so much more powerful than the actual thing that you can do with that land. It opens up vast swells of the, of the financial world that you never had access to before. And I think that that is what land's most powerful thing is. There's also the, the second thing, and this one also has to do with classism and to a certain extent racism, is that in areas, in districts, you have homeowners associations and you uh, and they vote on things that need to be done in the area. So you will have like a district that is like, okay, we need to do this and this. We need to get some roads sorted out and put up some signs and everything. Um, the, the thing though is that it's not the Home Livers Association, it's the Home Owners Association. So they're going to pass legislation which benefits them. And as you said, people who own homes tend to be of a higher like uh, economic standing. So they pass legislation that is beneficial to them, which might not necessarily be beneficial to someone else. So you can see this with like the way that homeless people in areas are treated. The Homeowners Association will do something to make sure that those homeless people aren't taken care of but just aren't there so they'll like get yeah. spikes set up on you know the sidewalk where people sleep where they'll get police to come and ship them away and it's a it's an interesting thing to think about when we think about like the power of owning homes and what that does is like yeah it gives a person an incredible amount of leverage but i think i i think that's Leverage in its own sense, I think the fact that you have to have a house to have leverage, I think that's, it is a kind of older school mentality, I think. Uh, the other options are, you know, you can still, if you know, know how to wangle it, you could basically have like a stock portfolio. And if you go to, you know, a private banker at one point, they could potentially use your stock portfolio as collateral for something else. Or in the more modern times, you look at things like uh, sort of fast finance and those kind of things. And you see a lot of these models coming up where you can basically take spending habits of a particular individual. You can come up with some sort of algorithm for whether they're susceptible to be able to pay off a loan or not. And then you could use that as uh, an opportunity to get access to credit. So it's not necessarily... Uh, all the time that you need to think about having a homeowner to get this credit. It just is that a lot of the financial structures out there. It's not impossible. It's just more difficult. So it's like if you own property, you have, we, we have a different form of credit scoring in South Africa. Uh, the United States does that to a much larger extent than, than at home. But you do have a much lower interest rate if you own property because the bank knows that you're good for it. You can't like run run across the border with all your property under your arm. So yeah. the, if you have that as collateral, the bank can take it from you um, fully legally. And so they're like, yeah, we'll give this guy a really low interest rate. He's good for it. The thing is, like when you're renting, there also although it doesn't happen too often, you know, because ha having a rental home is is for an owner is quite something valuable to have. Uh, but, you know, the, the idea of renting and, you know, one day, the, you know, one year the landlord might decide, hey, I'm actually, you know, I want to reoccupy this house. So I want to like do some things on it. So you do lose a little bit, bit of that agency. 
But I think the trade-off there is something that I'm quite happy to do because it also gives me the opportunity to to live in different cities, to have the freedom to move around a little bit. You don't really have this sort of fixed uh, place and this fixed location, especially in your like earlier stages of life, you know, 20s and 30s. If you're getting like stuck into a, a specific housing position, right? You say, okay, maybe it is like the center of Cape Town. You're lucky enough to buy it, be able to buy it in like the most prime real estate. But most likely it's not going to be the case. You're going to be in the suburb. If you're stuck in that house in that suburb for, you know, the next 20 years, starting at the age of like late 20s to early 30s, the opportunities that you're giving up and the kind of lifestyle that you're giving up, being able to interact with the city and being able to have, you know, new experiences and understanding of the world, you, you're kind of losing that. And I think that's something that I, I put a higher value on uh, over, over particular just home ownership. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, actually, the the friends that I have who straight out of university with their first jobs started paying off a house is they did have the intention that they were going to stay in that house for the next 20 years. Um, but the fact of the matter is none of them are. They moved into a house that was definitely an upgrade of their lifestyle uh, from living in university. Mm-hmm. But by the time they get to 30, you know, that's not necessarily where they want to be anymore. And mm-hmm. so they tend to, to sell it off before the bond is entirely paid off, which depending on when during the payoff process they paid it off, they could come away just completely breaking even, which kind of yeah. negates the financial benefit or whatever it is of, of buying a home. But let me posit a question to you. What is... What are other reasons for renting instead of buying? What, what's 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 your pitch? Sell me, sell me renting a house. So the other reason for so the main thing is that it's not it's not that I'm pro renting per se. It's because I'm kind of more anti home ownership. The reason being is that it's not just buying a home and it, it is going to appreciate over time. I've been following it for a little bit. So there's this thing called the 1% rule. So the 1% rule is that you should spend 1% of the meat, the price of the house in upkeep per year. And that is like a recommended because if you don't do that, uh, there's chances are, you know, you leave something, oh, there's a bit of a, like rot over there. You, you leave it for like a couple of years because you don't have the finances because you're still just plan- trying to pay off the mortgage. You don't have any sort of any backup cash to do that. It gets way worse. Suddenly you have to redo the whole bathroom. You know, that kind of level of upkeep, that is a challenge to maintain. And if you're not operationally savvy within your own home and you don't have that cash to make sure that you're maintaining things, you know, painting the house every five years, you know, doing the gutters, doing the the leaves, if you have air conditioning, getting it serviced, maintain, maintained, gardening services, all of these add up uh, to make it a lot more sort of, expensive on a day-to-day basis uh, over and above just you know the things like the remortgage payment but you do get a be- you do get a benefit if you go for more uh, say you know you go into a housing compl- complex or you go into you know somewhere with a bit of a, a homeowners association or a body corporate you know sometimes you'll have like a flat and the body corporate takes care of the external and the flat you just kind of maintain internally so that can be a little bit more approachable um 
but yeah, the, my main thing is also just, you know, I, I really dis despise being sort of tied down to a single place. Uh, so, you know, renting just makes more sense. But with the caveat that if you're renting, you should also be investing the savings that you're making over and above that potential mold. That is the takeaway of, of all of that is the only, the only time when renting is better than buying from a financial standpoint is if you're also taking that that extra money and putting it away otherwise it is how people feel about renting which is just you know yeah. paying for that service month after month um, it's that it's that operation it's it's called opportunity cost right so you're giving up sort of something in exchange for something else and this is something in economics that happens all the time you you always evaluate something in what you're going to give up somewhere else so let's let's take a let's take the other approach, right? We've, we're obviously very uh, pro renting. Let's go and try and strongman uh, devil's advocate. Why should we be buying a house? Okay, I could give this a spin. I could give this a spin, considering I've considered it. Uh, so the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to buying a house is to have that solidity that that strong base that you know will always be yours failing you know um, bankruptcy where they come and seize your stuff um this even is true if i become like financially destitute and i am out of a job at least i will still have a roof over my head and i don't need to continue paying rent month after month however i still need to pay uh rates and taxes and utilities so that argument isn't very strong it's just strongish um, the second one is that it allows you to do with the space where you will. So I'm going to leave the financial implications of this off the table because we all know that if you fix up a place and you sell it at a higher value, then you could theoretically make money off of that. I mean, some people make that their entire vocation. But assuming that you don't want to be a full-time house improver, um, just for a place that you're living, I can definitely see the appeal of fixing problems that need fixed uh, and improving on things that ne you need improved to improve your life. So let's take, for instance, you have a lot of outdoor space, but it's not very usable. You could go and you could turn it into a bit of a garden, a little deck up so that you can have Briar out there with your friends. Um, if the shower is too cramped, you can break it down, remove the bathtub and make a walk-in shower. Right? Uh, or something as simple as just like changing the color of your room without having to ask someone for permission. This also ties into our episode that we were talking about making a energy efficient house is that you can go and make the changes to make the house more energy efficient and perhaps even save yourself money on heating and cooling uh, without phoning up the landlord and being like, hey, listen, I care about the fucking world. Can you please insulate my house? In that sense, you, you probably could come up with like a, you could probably come with like the financial backing of that too. You could say, well, if you go to solo, you know, you won't have to pay for geezer to be heated up and down. So you'll be able to, you'll get a better profit in terms of like the rent because you could, you know, charge a flat fee and, you know, get the resulting back. Um, but yeah, it just sounds like you, you, you just want to potter and you want to be able to like fix stuff up and, you know, have a nice little deck get your garden, your, your vegetables growing, that kind of thing. I think, I think both the argument for staying and, uh, sorry, for buying and for renting for the two of us 
both center around autonomy. Um, it just yeah. happens that there is the trade-off between the two of them. We want yeah. autonomy to change places and travel, but we also want autonomy to craft the places that we are staying to suit our needs yeah. better. And so it's really, there, there is no middle ground over there because of the nature of property ownership. Um, but it is, there are definitely appealing aspects to both. I personally feel that the ability to change location and to uh, have that, like I currently technically don't have a home right now, all my stuff is in storage. And so I'm taking advantage of the fact that I could leave my lease and, you know, head on off. And then when I get back to Cape Town, find somewhere that I fit better into. Um, but at the end, I'm not paying for rent back in Cape Town, whereas if I owned a place and I came over here, I'd still be paying uh, mortgage. And then there's the other thing, right? <laughs> so so the, the, only, uh, the only other place where I would really be pro buying a house or buying property, maybe like a flat, is if you're buying to, to let or buying to rent. Uh, and this is kind of more of a sort of, it's kind of a middle ground. It's a little bit more work. Uh, it's maybe not the ideal, but for, for some people, uh, and it is something that, you know, it is an option and that is buying to let or buying a house in order to rent it out to someone else. I think personally, this is like the best op option to go with, especially because you don't necessarily have to be locked into a location. You still get some of the benefits of being able to rent. Uh, you still get to move around a little bit. You do have the ability to accumulate money towards an asset. You're building up the, the rent and you're also getting someone else to pay for it, potentially. Um, the only difficulty there is that, first of all, you need to find a property that is within your budget that is usually closer to the city because you don't want to rent out to someone in the rural place unless you go for like a long-term rural. So you find somewhere in the city, you do also have to manage the, the renting of that place. Although these days you can get uh, you know, you can get some companies to do that for you. Um, the, the downside is, you know, certain sort of first time home buyer uh, incentive programs don't necessarily qualify for uh, properties where you're going to buy to rent. But you do get the option where, you know, if you have, you know, a little bit of hustle, you can find people to rent it out, get them onto a longer lease. Uh, hopefully you're not getting, you're not doing an Airbnb because that might also be quite, you know, hard to manage over time. And then you get the, the ability to maybe, you know, put in half of the amount you would normally pay towards the mortgage and then get someone else who's renting it. They're basically paying off the other half. They can contribute to the taxes, all of those kind of things. And essentially what you're doing is just you're buying a business, right? You're, you're investing in a business. Well, so I, I agree with you that it is interesting to look at property in that context. However, I think that... I, I still don't agree that it's, that's a good investment, right? Is because you still have the problem of putting the majority of your wealth into one single asset, right? So you'd be buying a property that if you get one bad tenant who refuses to vacate and isn't paying rent, you know, that could leave you financially destitute and the bank can come and seize your property. Um, with people who bought property explicitly to rent on Airbnb in the past four years in Cape Town, and we're left with a huge amount of debt and zero tourists in Cape Town during the pandemic. Just goes to show that this is like not an entirely riskless situation. Yeah. So 
I personally, uh, I personally have a chunk of my wealth sitting in REITs, which have the benefits of real estate. That's a real estate investment trust. It's kind of like a unit trust, but for a portfolio of properties. So it gives me liquidity because I can sell those within 10 minutes of you know me, me logging in. Um, it gives me uh, it gives me access to the property markets and the potential profit that can be made can be made there. Um, but it also has a much more diversified portfolio because you know it's a whole portfolio of, of properties mm. as opposed to just that one apartment that I have in Fredo. Yeah, it, and that's that's a way that I kind of go to. Um, but I think the one one last point on the the buy buying to letting is that. Um, if you, I mean, you could also take the approach of, you know, still getting somewhere that you would yourself would personally not be opposed to living in. And then in that case, you are kind of, you know, building it up. Uh, you still get some of those benefits of getting leverage later down the line. But yeah, I think the the ultimate way of doing it, and I think the way that I've, I've kind of stuck to is if you want to get exposure to the property market and also, you know, there's the other aspect of property, which we haven't talked about, which is like commercial property and industrial space. Like that's those kind of properties are far outside of the realm of like what a traditional normal person can afford, uh, the non 1%. And, uh, you know, you also get the benefit of, you know, in a commercial property, you know, someone who leases for like a restaurant, they usually take out longer term leases, like five or five or so years. But, you know, to get access to that, personally going one-on-one to go buy a property like that you don't have a lot of options right but going through a reit uh, and there are a couple in south africa there's a couple ones globally uh you do get exposure to the property market you've got the benefit of diversification within the property market so you've got someone who's hopefully like you know managing those rental properties choosing the right locations you know developing those properties into something valuable uh, and then you also have, for from a personal point of view, the, you've got the the liquidity, and that is the, one of the main things that is uh, against uh, property ownership is that you lose liquidity. So if you have to move somewhere because of you know family situation or you know maybe your spouse gets a, a job in another location, you can you don't have to eat, sell up at all potentially. You can just have the ability. You know, maybe you need to pay for school, but you know you need to pay pay some medical bills. You can sell that. At, you know, almost immediately you get those that value back, and you can use it towards your own. Um... Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just want to caveat all of this with: this is not financial advice. <laughs> no, no, it's not. That, this is yeah. We're supposed to say this at the beginning of the episode. This is not financial advice. We are not property investors. We're just two guys speculating. On Very much opinion pieces, uh, and yeah, it, it, it's just opinion. Uh, there, this is the way that that I focus on this is how i do it i mean i'm yeah like if i'm wrong like please tell me and there is actually a way to tell it tell so if you're listening listening to this on um spotify uh, i found out last week that or last time that there's a feature where you can actually submit feedback in you go to the spotify episode you can click on it you can type some feedback so if you are listening out there and you've made it all the way to this point Please give us some feedback. We'd love to hear like what people are listening to us for. Like why the hell us? You know, like what do you want to hear more about? Do you want to hear more about South Africa? More about like our, you know, uh, opinions on other things, other topics. And we've got lots of those. So yeah, if you can, 
give us a little bit of a shout and see if you can uh, fill that in. Um, so last thing, I think before we end off, um, what about the future? Uh, do you, um, you obviously, if, you know, one day you'll get a fixer upper, maybe you'll flip a house. That might be something cool to do. Uh, do you see yourself buying a property uh, in the, say in the next five years? Uh, and if you're buying it, what would you buy it for? You know what? I I actually don't think so. I thought I did, but I actually think that I don't want to own a property. However, I am very... I, I have a much better understanding of what I want out of a place that I live in, right? And there's, you know, a couple of simple... Uh, there's a couple of big things and a couple of small things. So on the small thing side, is like I really want a big shower. I hate cramped showers. As you... Uh, you and I are both tall yeah. motherfuckers and like being inside a tiny shower, especially when the, the spout is like at face height, oh, I, no. hate it. I hate it so much. Right. Um, yeah. and also like shower over a bath is a no go for me. You know, I don't want to no. be like slipping and sliding in the bath. No, I want to <laughs> shower that I can like walk into. If I can walk into yeah. it without even having a curtain or a door, fucking great. That's great. Yeah. I love um, that dude. <laughs> The, the second one is like I want I want good lighting. You know, good lighting makes make it a place. If you go in, if you go into a room and the lighting is off, um, it, it changes the way that you interact with the room. You know, if it's white sterile lighting, you can't relax in there. However, that might be a bit better to work in. Right? Um, there's an entire book I read on on the subject. It's called Chasing the Sun, and it talks about how our our mood and how our circadian rhythm and our alertness and everything is so influenced by by light um and i find this like i every time i am completely affected by how things are lit um and the third one and this is this is for my sleep is like i have to have a place where i can chill and work and hang out that is not the bedroom right I don't want to work and I don't want to chill in my bedroom because that associate that creates this internal association with my bedroom as not a place to sleep. And I find if I have that separation, I go into the bed and then it's like my brain's just like, ah oh, man, it's time to sleep. And I'm like, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then and this is a more recent one, but I really want a big garage. I want like four I want to be able to put four motorcycles in there, two of them in pieces, you know, and a little corner where I can do some some painting. I I literally just bought a uh, 1980s Honda Super Cup. Uh, it's wow. in Hot Bay. I need to pick it up when I get down there. Um, yes, I did buy this entirely online. Yes, I am going to fix it up as my next project. <laughs> is it real? Is it real? <laughs> I hope so. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, I, on my side, uh, I think. I mean, it's it's quite nice that I've, I've had the opportunity to come to London. So uh, it does mean that I've earned a few pounds. So, I mean, if I was to buy a place, it, it would probably be like a buy to rent situation. I don't see myself doing it in the next two or three years, but maybe, you know, who knows? Uh, I always have this idea of going back to Cape Town, having a like somewhere the same as you, good lighting, a bit of a disconnect between the rooms. Uh, you know, somewhere like an open space, you know, maybe a, a, a balcony overlooking something, you know, somewhere where you can kind of make it your own, you can have your own things. Uh, but, you know, in the first few years, I'll probably rent it out just to kind of help with the, the repayments. And the other option is, and I think I have mentioned this before, is, is just because of the onset of like internet uh, coming from the sky or like satellite internet, 
the other option is like potentially buying like a really cheap piece of land somewhere in the middle of nowhere i know there's got a lot of these um uh you know you can you see them online you know people selling italian villas for two euros and all you have to do is you have to uh you know promise to you know up you know invest in the area so you've got to upkeep or and like rehabilitate but you use local labor but you get one of those you've got your internet coming from the sky and then you've got uh the ability to create almost like a backpackers or some sort of uh you know digital nomad mecca uh and you would just rent that out on airbnb on a per room basis i actually have a friend who's doing exactly that exactly it's it's such a it feels like something cool but i think it's more it's more from a, a entrepreneurial business sense right it's more like a it's like something to do it's something to work towards i'm not just buying it because i want to you know sit on my ass and like watch television on the weekends right although you know every now and again you do want to watch some football or some rugby whatever have a bribe but you know I, I don't want to just own it for the sake of owning it i want to have some sort of project or something to do or something to like keep myself busy uh, and i think that's the way i would go yeah i feel you man um i think that that is a good conclusion to this episode and yeah. i'm going to bid you a good night